Strange Tales. RelicRadio.com presents tales of the strange and bizarre, the weird and the wicked. Stories not necessarily of the supernatural, but of the unnatural. Join us now for Strange Tales, featuring radio drama at its most mysterious and unusual. Strange Tales. We're going to hear from The Haunting Hour this week, series produced by NBC between 1945 and 1946, 52 episodes. The story we're going to hear today is titled Destination Unknown. Opening and closing of this episode are missing, but the story is complete. Here's Destination Unknown. sudden impulse to speak to a stranger, to quit your job, or to board a train destination unknown. That's what Kirk Holland did, and because it could easily happen to you, let me tell you his story. Kirk was a young, romantic sort of a chap, and he lived in a little town called Ainsville. He had a bookshop there, on the square, and like other people of the town, oftentimes Kirk stood in the small station and watched the 845 pull up to the shed. His life was a quiet life until that night. It was raining, and Kirk stood under the train shed. The steam engine puffed by, then the mail car, a coach, and another. The train stopped. Directly before him, framed in the misty window, was the face of a girl. And it was a tortured face full of pain and sadness. Suddenly, Kirk felt an unconquerable impulse to help this stranger. He stood staring at the girl's dark eyes, and then, suddenly, the coach gave a little lurch forward, and Kirk ran to the steps of the car and swung onto the train. He knew that more than anything in the world, he wanted to speak to that girl. He had to know who she was. So, he took a deep breath, pushed open the door, walked down the aisle, and sat down on the seat opposite her. Finally, he leaned forward a little and said, What's the matter? Why do you cry like that? What? I'm sorry, my name is Kirk Holland. I don't mean to bother you, but well, I couldn't help wondering if there's something I can do. No. No, I'm all right. Have I seen a woman cry like that before? Maybe it's because women usually cry because they're sorry for themselves. That's not my reason. What is the reason, then? I'm crying for someone else. Oh. Because you're leaving him? You're going away? No. Yes. Where are you going? To a farm I used to visit when I was that high. Very out of the way, up in Canada. I'm going back again. On vacation? No. No, I'm going there to stay. 
forever. But I'm glad you spoke to me. Made everything easier. Just smile a little, then. Oh, I... I had a thought. What? Oh, it's nothing. Tell me what. Well, I was thinking. Suppose somehow in the next few minutes there'd be an accident. The train off the track, a, a mass of steaming mangled coaches. And suppose I were to be killed. Well, why do you think of that? Well, it might happen. It might easy. If it did, I'd... I'd want you to do something for me. What? I'd send you on an errand. Tonight. I'd send you backstage at the opera house in New York. And what would I do there? I'd want you to go to a man who'd be standing in the wings, smoking a long cigarette. A little gray-haired man named Lawrence Flame. My singing teacher. And what would I say? You'd say, I was with Iris Martin when she died. She said to tell you she was sorry for what happened. But the thing she did was all she could do to keep you from bringing unhappiness. Go on. I, I'd want you to take Lawrence Blaine by the arm and lead him to some place where it was quiet and stay with him for a little while because he'd need somebody. And after that? That's all. There's no after that. I, I can't help it. I, I'm sorry. Thank you for listening. Oh, please don't down. Where are we? Clarkston. Clarkston? Oh, what's the matter? Nothing. Will you save my seat for me? Of course. Why, eyes are so red and ugly. You've been very kind. Goodbye, Mr. Holly. You're listening to The Haunting Hour on the Golden Age of Radio Theater. Now, back to The Haunting Hour. She took up her polo coat and purse and walked away. Kirk watched her slim body move down the aisle. A feeling of loss fell over him. Why did he say goodbye like that? He waited, his heart something fast inside him, breathing short and quick. Something was the matter. The watch on his wrist ticked away one minute, two. He didn't come back. Then suddenly the train was starting. Kirk sat up. Then from out the corner of his eye, on the platform beyond the window... He caught a fleeting glimpse of a polo coat disappearing in the dingy station. He was running away. He's gone out of his life, desperately and forever. He ran down the aisle, out on the car's platform, and jumped off the train. The station platform was deserted. He ran across the platform into the almost empty waiting room. He got there. Then, through the large open window under a street lamp, he saw her just as she turned a corner out of sight. But when he reached the corner, the street was empty. Except for a mist that hung like a ghost over the pavement. He ran on, his mind frantic with terror and haste. Then, ahead, like fuzzy balls of flame in the night, he saw two rows of light shining dimly over the curving span of a bridge. He strained his eyes to the misty darkness. His ears were taut for sound. Then, ahead, lying forlorn and solitary on the bridge, he saw a girl's polo coat and a blue bag, and a pocketbook. He held onto the rail and looked down into the dizzy darkness of the river. His mind was spinning, felt helpless and lost, like a child. For a moment, he 
We stood listening to the swiftly moving river. And at last, slowly, he took up the polo coat and the blue beret and the pocketbook and started back through the heavy fog. Hello, Merrill. This is Inspector Jones, headquarters. Fellow here says a woman jumped off North Bridge about 15 minutes ago. Better get the riverboats looking for her. Okay? Okay. Well, the boats will pick her up, McDonald. Only I've been sure I could have stopped her. She was too young. Here, let's have a look at this pocketbook. Mm-hmm. Usual thing. Lipstick, compact, change first. And uh, here's a note addressed to Iris Martin. Signed by somebody named Maestro. She mentioned him? No. I left it some music teacher, Lawrence Blaine. Mm-hmm. Iris, I'm determined. Tonight at the second intermission, do not try to stop me. Be ready to sing. Maestro, does this mean anything to you? Nothing at all. Probably has something to do with a suicide. It may be important. Inspector, I have an appointment. I'd like to go. Okay, Mr. Holland. But you'll have to identify the body. When we find it, I'll get in touch with you. As a matter of fact, this case can stand investigation. From this note, it looks to me like something more than suicide. Her column stood for a moment on the sidewalk outside the police station. She asked him to do an errand. He looked at his watch and started down the street toward the railway station. Now his destination was not unknown. Is this the stage door of the opera house? Yep. What you want? I'd like to see a man named Lawrence Blaine. Uh, nobody's allowed backstage. But it's about Iris Martin. She asked me. Miss Martin? Well, that kid was... He'd been looking all over town for her. Uh, down the hall there. See those two men? The white-haired ones, Mr. Blaine. Thanks. One minute. Second acting, one minute. Leave me alone, Barrio. One minute. I tell you, I've called everyone. But how could you let her out of your sight? She was upset, nervous. Oh, on stage, everybody. On stage. Oh, Mr. Blaine? Yes? I, I have a message for you. It's from Miss Martin. From Miss Martin? What is it? I'm Antonio Barrio. The message is from Mr. Blaine. Where is she? It's been frantic, trying to on find stage, her. Mr. Barrio, the curtain's waiting. All right, all right, I'm coming. Please, Mr. Barrio, on stage. Maestro, wait in my dressing room. I'll be back in 20 minutes, please. Where is Miss Martin? Why did she run away like this? I have bad news for you, Mr. Blaine. Bad news? What bad news? What's happened? Mr. Blaine, she drowned herself in the North River on Carson. They're searching for her body now. Drowned? No. Oh, Iris, my child. What have I done to you? Lawrence Blaine's face was gaunt and pale. He stood like a dumb man. And remembering what the girl Iris had told him, Kirk took the old man's arm and led him out the stage door. He hailed a taxi, and when they reached the Maestro studio, the old man sank in a large, easy chair, staring ahead into an empty future. Then he began to speak. Mr. Holland... This girl was my life. She was like my own child. I loved her with all my heart. I taught her to sing. I taught her to use the magic of her voice. And it was incomparable magic. Look at me, Mr. Holland. Look at an old man whose love outweighed his good sense. I understand, Mr. Blaine. But it was my dream that Iris be great. Greater than any singer who ever lived. That dream was my only reason for living, and nothing should stand in its way. Not even Madame Zadrini. 
Madame Zedrini. Yes. She knew the greatness of Iris Boys. She knew my Iris could surpass her. And she was determined Iris never have that chance. That is why I planned to kill her. Oh. And Miss Martin knew what you planned? I was mad to even think of it. But it was the only way, Mr. Holland. The only way I could convince Iris of her greatness. To have her seen in Madame Zedrini's place. Now it is too late. Too late. Maestro. Maestro, a terrible thing is... Please, please, Mr. Varro, you're not excited. This is no time for pampering. Something terrible has happened at the opera, Maestro. What is it, Varro? When the call came after the second intermission, Madame Zedrini did not appear. They found her in the dressing room, murdered. Where the place was in an uproar. I will tell you, there was no understudy. They, they were calling frantically for Iris. Varro, you mean Madame Zedrini... How did she die? Poison, they said. Poison. I do not know more than that. But where is Iris? This man said he brought you a message from her. Yes. But Iris is dead. Dead? What are you saying? It is true, Mr. Vario. Miss Martin drowned herself. Then it was you who killed the maestro. You. Please, Mr. Vario. He wrote her a note telling her what he planned to do. He planned to murder Madame Zedrini. Iris told me all about it. Maestro. Then you, you did kill her. No, Vario, I didn't. I didn't, I tell you. And Iris killed herself to keep you from it. Maestro, maestro, the police, they will find find out that the they... The police will... already know. They have the note. It was in her pocketbook. That note is incriminating, Mr. Blaine. I read it. My poor Iris. As you say, Vario, she killed herself to save me. And now, with a little piece of paper she left behind, she condemns me for a crime I didn't commit. We'll return to Destination Unknown on The Haunting Hour from the Golden Age of Radio Theater in just a moment. Once again, The Haunting Hour. One night, Kirk Holland obeyed his impulse to talk to a girl he saw crying in the window of the night train from New York. Her name was Iris Martin. When she left the train, Kirk followed to discover she had drowned herself in the North River. Kirk went to New York to tell Lawrence Blaine, the girl's singing teacher, of Iris Martin's suicide. Later, in Blaine's studio, Antonio Vario, an opera star, appeared to say that Madame Zedrini had been murdered. Because of an incriminating note written by Blaine, indicating he would kill Madame Zedrini so Iris might sing in her stead, a note the police found in the pocketbook of Iris Martin, Lawrence Blaine was arrested for the murder of Madame Zedrini. Kirk Holland went back to Amesville... During the following weeks, he walked the shaded streets of the town, and in his mind flashed images of Iris Martin. Sometimes in his sleep, he awoke, calling the dead girl's name. When Lawrence Blaine was brought to trial, he testified for the aging man, and listened as the district attorney said, Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I ask you to consider the evidence. You have heard the analysis. Arsenic in Anna Zadrini's body and in the dregs of her teacup. Tea that she drank during the second intermission in her dressing room. Consider then that this murderer was a man of shrewd intelligence. Do not be deceived by the absurd plea of the defense that because Iris Martin was dead, Lawrence Blaine had no motive for murder. Remember, this fiendish little man was sick with hatred for Anna Zedrini. That's the reason he stole into her dressing room in the afternoon of that black day and placed the poison in those tea bags. Ladies and gentlemen, 
I demand the maximum penalty for Lawrence Blaine. Murder in the first degree. Before I pass sentence on you, Lawrence Blaine, have you anything to say to the court? Nothing, Your Honor. Then it is my duty as judge of this high court of justice to sentence you, Lawrence Blaine, to die in the electric chair on the last day of our So Lawrence Blaine was sentenced to die. That afternoon in the city prison, Kirk Holland stepped into the dark cell to find Antonio Vario talking to the condemned man. Good afternoon, Vario. Hello, Mr. Blaine. Mr. Holland, what can we do? There must be something we can do for him. There is nothing, Vario. And what does it matter now? What does it matter? Have they found a body, Mr. Holland? You've kept in touch with the police in Clarkston. They found no trace of it, Vario. Then we must get lawyers for you, Maestro. Good lawyers who will appeal to the governor. Yes, yes, it's still a chance. It doesn't matter, I tell you. What reason do I have to live now? I'm an old man. My time has come. And Iris is dead. Without Iris, there is no reason to live. I know, Maestro. I know. There is something I've never told you. What, Vario? I loved her, too. I had asked her to marry me a day or two before she died. You, Vario? Yes, yes. I would have done anything for her. Anything. In the week that followed, the governor refused a reprieve for Lawrence Blaine. Kirk went back to Ainsville. The week passed. Finally, the day came when Lawrence Blaine was to die. Kirk left his bookshop that night and walked the wide streets of the little town. But every step, he walked deeper into the shadowy presence of Iris. She was everywhere. And she was not dead, but she was alive in his mind. There was the tilt of her head, a small round face, a sad smile. Now and then he was sure he saw her. I was just turning a corner ahead. I was standing alone under the glow of the street lamp. But it was only the ghost of a memory. A memory he loved. It was this memory and his desire to be close to where she had been that led him to the station that evening. A winter's cold rain had begun to fall, and through it, out of the darkness, came the black engine, out of a cloud of white steam, moving slowly past the shed. A mail car, a coach, and another. Kirk felt body tingle. Then, directly before him, framed in the misty window... Iris! Iris! He bounded under the car, pushed open the door, and stood transfixed in the aisle as she half rose from her seat with a little cry. Mr. Holland. Iris, Martin, it's you. All the way I've been hoping, wishing for you. And you came. I can't believe it. Where have you been? You thought you were dead. I know. I was in Canada, miles away from anything. I didn't know what happened till yesterday. I saw a newspaper in the village store. And you know Mr. Blaine has been convicted of murder. And he's innocent. I know he is. Come with me to help him, Mr. Holland. Oh, you couldn't keep me away. I've got to save him. There's something I know that may save him. Oh, please help me again. I will, Iris. You see, I thought if everyone believed me dead, it was the only way I, I could think of to keep him from killing her. He was doing it for me, and I couldn't stop him. I know. He told me. Oh, can you ever forgive me, Mr. Holland? That night on the train, when, when you spoke to me, I I needed somebody to send back to New York to tell the maestro I was dead before you could commit this crime. So I used you. I thank you now for what you did. Nothing matters except that you're alive. Oh, take me to somebody in authority to, to the district attorney. 
You see, I know who murdered Madame Zagrini. And there's only one way to prove it. Hello? Mario, this is Kirk Holland. Yes, yes, what is it? I have some news for you, good news. Good reprieve? Hello, it's about Iris Martin. Have they found her body? Yes, she's alive, Mario. What? It's true. We're on our way now to the district attorney's office. She asked me to call you. She wants you to come down to the DA's office right away. I, I can't believe it. Would you be there? Of course, right away, right away. Well, I must say, Miss Martin, your appearance is dramatic, to say the least. But as district attorney, I can't see from what you've told me how your evidence will clear Lawrence Blaine. But I, I told you, I have no proof. Can't you stay the execution for a day or two so we can get the proof? Well, it's very irregular. But with Vario's help and a little time, I'm, I'm sure I can prove the maestro innocent. Oh, please, he'll be here any minute. Give us the chance. If you'd tell me what you have in mind, Miss Martin, maybe the governor would intervene, but... Well, frankly, I couldn't call him with the scanty information you've given me. Why, you were miles away when the murder was done. Was I? How do you know I was? Iris, Iris, this is magnificent. I, I can't believe it. I'm glad to hear, Vario. My dear, my dear, what can I say? I missed you more than you'll ever know. Thank you, Vario. Why did you do this to us? Why? I'll explain to you later. Right now, Vario, we've got to do everything we can to save the maestro. We have to tell the truth. What truth? Vario here... Will back me up when I tell you that at rehearsal on the afternoon of the day Madame Zadrini was murdered, she used the last of her imported teeth. Iris, is that right, Mr. Mario? Yes, that is right. Mario was standing with me when Madame Zadrini asked me to lend her a few bags of tea for my dressing room. That's true, isn't it, Mario? Iris, what are you? Yes, yes, that is true. So you see, the tea that murdered Madame Zadrini was tea she borrowed from me. Iris, you mean? No, no, she doesn't mean that. Iris, what did he say? Lawrence Blaine did not commit the murder. Vario's trying to protect me, but he knows quite well that I poisoned the tea bag. I killed Madame Zadrini. Iris, but that's not true. She's only saying that because I... Vario loves me. He'd do anything to keep you from knowing. He'd let the maestro die to save me. Is what she says true, Mr. Vario? I don't know. Iris, what have you done? The only thing I could do, Vario, to save the maestro's life. But it doesn't make sense. Will you sign this confession, Miss Martin? Yes. Yes, I'll sign anything. Only call the prison before it's too late. I'd have told them the truth. I have told them. No, no, she's lied. She did not do it. It was I, I who killed Madame Zadrini. I did it for you, Iris. Because I've loved you for a long time. But it was the maestro who kept you from me. He was so cautious of where you went, whom you knew. And then, when I discovered he himself was planning to kill Madame Zadrini, when he had written such an incriminating note... I took over to make sure he would be convicted. I was planning to tell the police about the note. But when they found it in your purse, and when you yourself were supposedly dead, I... You've enough, Ario. You've almost allowed an innocent man to die for your own crime. Hello, this is the district attorney. Get me the governor's mansion and hurry. And tell Patrolman Hicks to bring a police car to the front door. He's to take a Miss Martin and a Mr. Holland to Southgate Prison. Lawrence Blaine is a free man. How did you know it was Vario who killed her? Well, I didn't suspect him, but I knew Madame Zadrini had borrowed some teeth from him. I heard her asking for him. Well, it's over now. Now everything will be just as the maestro wanted it. You will sing. You'll be a great star. No, Kate. No, because I don't want to be. I've never wanted to be, really. Then what will you do? I don't know. That'll come later. Iris. 
The first night I saw you in the window of the train, I, I had a sudden impulse to know you. That's why I climbed aboard. If you hadn't come back, I'd have spent the rest of my life in love with you. With a ghost? With a brief memory. Now I have another impulse. Maybe to take you in my arms. Maybe to kiss you. And you always obey your impulses? From now on, I do. That's our strange tale for this week. You can find more from The Haunting Hour at relicradio.com, more from Strange Tales, and all of the other podcasts. You can donate to Relic Radio through the website if you'd like to as well. Visit donate.relicradio.com or click on one of the links on the website. Your support makes all of this happen. Thanks again to those who have helped out, and thanks for joining me this week. Be back next Sunday with another episode of Relic Radio's Strange Tales. Strange Tales.